Thanks, Peter. Uh, I'm also Peter, uh, if you don't know me, and uh, it's a great privilege to open God's Word together this morning. Before we look at this passage, how about we pray? Heavenly Father, please open our hearts and minds to the truth of your Word now, so that as a result of spending time together looking at it, we may have a deeper knowledge and love for you and for each other. Please challenge us where we need to be challenged. Lord, give us comfort where we really need your comfort because we want to live our lives for your praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there are some things in life you just have to remember. I woke up this morning. Fortunately, I did remember. It's my wife's birthday. There's, of course, little things like your car keys, your sunglasses. Usually mine are still on top of my head. Uh, then there are important dates like birthdays, your mother-in-law's birthday and other things. And, and then there's kind of nationally important days like, like Anzac Day. After a minute's silence, we, we say those words gathered wherever we are, lest we forget. It's so important to take time and remember. We can't imagine the horrors of battle, the devastating loss of life that has occurred in in all the different conflicts our country has been involved in, or the physical and emotional wounds suffered by those who returned. And yet in all of the ugliness of war, there are things worth remembering. Genuine mateship, acts of great courage, or selflessness, personal sacrifice, even to the point of death, for what? For the personal freedom and peace and benefit of of others, of a whole nation. These are the kinds of ideals that have shaped who we are as a nation. And it's right to pause and take time to remember, lest we forget. And I think it's becoming increasingly important to do so because perhaps you're like me, it's just so easy to take for granted. To forget what others have done so that we can enjoy such freedom and peace and comfort. Now if that's true of our privilege as citizens of Australia, how much more is it true of our privilege as citizens of heaven? Last week, we were reminded what God did for us so that we might become citizens of heaven. He sent his one and only son, our Lord Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. That was the cost. Well, in today's passage, we discover that Jesus' death on the cross did even more than just our salvation with God. His sacrifice means that we can also have peace. And we heard that word many times through that reading. We can have peace, real peace, true fellowship, genuine unity with each other in his name. Now, the book of Ephesians, if you just sat down and read it right through, which I encourage you to do so, it's basically in two halves. The first half, chapters 1 to 3, tells us what God has done for us in Christ. Lots of information. The second half is full of commands, telling us how to live now that God has saved us. But there is one command, just one command, in all of chapters 1 to 3. 
And it's right here in verse 11 and 12. Remember. Remember. And what are we to remember? Look at verse 12 with me. Verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Friends, what a devastating summary. And remember, this is Paul the Jew telling the Gentiles in Ephesus to remember who they were before they came to know Jesus. Hopeless, helpless, excluded. And my guess is that most of us are like the Ephesians. We're not Jews, we're Gentiles. So he's talking to us about what we were like. Remember what you were like without Jesus. This is actually the first step we often tell people in uh, learning to share your own personal testimony. What was life like before you met Jesus? And then you go on to share what happens when you met Jesus. Perhaps life was empty. Perhaps fearful. Fearful of death. Fearful of other things. Perhaps it just seemed meaningless. Without hope. Without God in the world. And then as Paul moves on, one small word, just three letters, changes everything. It's the little word, but. Let me illustrate just how important this word is. I'm going to start a sentence and I want you to finish it for me. You can do it out loud if you like. Uh, Imagine a coach. Rachel, we've chosen the netball team. You played really well, but you didn't make it. Uh, What about this one? This is the surgeon. Your cancer was aggressively spreading, but it's gone. Can't can't find a trace of it. Miracle. Must have had a praying church, hey. Um, The manager says, your CV is, it's it's excellent. And you respond really well in the interview, but we've chosen someone else. What about this policeman? walks to your car that you've just pulled over and and looks in the window and says, you know that was a 40 zone back there, don't you? It carries a hefty fine when you do 65 in a 40 zone, but... (laughs) There's always a negative spin. (laughs) Very good. Uh, I was hoping it would be like... But, you know, I can see you got three screaming kids in the back and, you know, I'll let you off this time. Uh, it can go either way, can't it? It's a tiny word, but it introduces a momentous shift in our fortunes. You can see it there in verse 13. Look at it with me. After that devastating description in verse 12, Paul says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once Far away, he's referring to the Gentiles, have been brought near. How? Through the blood of Christ. It's not our good works or our good family that we were born into or even our good looks. Hmm, I'm glad someone laughed. Um, (laughs) That brought us near to God. It's entirely the work of Jesus. And his death 
on the cross in our place. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, which we looked at last week, was all about being reconciled to God through Christ. That's our salvation. And what we're seeing here is that this is not just for Jews, it's for Gentiles too. This is wonderful news. But here, uh, as we move on, there's even more than just our salvation. In verses 11 right through to verse 22, Paul now focuses on how we are united, not just with God, but we're united with each other in Christ. The logic works like this. You see, since God took the initiative to forgive us, and he holds nothing against us now in Christ. He calls us to take the initiative and forgive others. And hold nothing, nothing against them. Having received God's kindness and mercy, he then calls us to show kindness and mercy and forgive others no matter what they've done. I saw a, a phenomenal example of this a few years ago. Beach Church had started, we're about six months in, and we uh, organised a mission trip, Surf to Snow it was called, uh, Beach to Bush, whatever you like, and we went down to Jindabyne in the middle of July. It was very white. Uh, it was a fantastic time, but, but about a week before we left, there was this horrible, horrible accident in Kiama. Uh, where a, a young drunk man just reversed over a family while they're sleeping in their tent on holidays. It was terrible. Um, the the mum was nearly killed. They all sustained injuries. What we found out the following morning was that family was holidaying from their home in Jindabyne and they were going to be billeting two of our team. And so all of a sudden there's this bizarre and very strong connection with all of us and them and the church in Jindabyne and it like instantly changed a lot of our plans and, and we could see how God opened up amazing opportunities as a result. Um, Pat and Amanda uh, were, were with us on that trip and Amanda uh, ended up giving her testimony in a pub with hecklers up the back. But it was because this family was so well known in Jindabyne, we had these all these kinds of opportunities. But I went to visit mum, uh, Jill, the mum in, in hospital, um, where and she was really struggling. But I, I was just amazed in talking with her and hearing her speak with great compassion and forgiveness for the young bloke that nearly took her life. And she's saying, I just want to tell him I forgive him. I, I don't want him to live with the, a life of self-condemnation for what he just did in a stupid moment without thinking. I want to introduce him to Jesus so he can know that God forgives him too. I was just amazed at the love and, and kindness she showed because the love of God for her personally is just so overwhelming. She just wanted to pass that on even in a circumstance like that. And so we see Paul here from verse 13 all the way down to verse 22 explaining in great detail how Jesus has demolished the dividing wall and united both Jews and Gentiles by his death. Now it's hard for us to imagine the cultural hatred between the Jews and Gentiles. Um, but by Paul's day, 
the Jews and Gentiles, they'd already had 2,000 years of hostility. I went right back to Abraham. Uh, you see, the Jews are descendants of Abraham and God shows them to bless them and through them to bless the whole world. But they kind of forgot about that second bit. Instead of like being a blessing, they became proud. They became arrogant. And they kind of like shut the rest of the world out as if they had a monopoly on God and his love for people. Not surprisingly, the Gentiles despised the Jews. And after centuries of hatred and disputes and battles and great loss of life, a mutual hatred ran pretty deep. And into this hostility, God sent Jesus. Listen again from verse 14, if you've got it open there in front of you. From verse 14. For Jesus is our peace. He made the two groups, that's Jews and Gentiles, he made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. You see, Jews and Gentiles, they're now on the same playing field. We're saved by Jesus and him alone, not by obeying the laws. He goes on. His purpose, God's purpose, was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. I just find it amazing. God put to death their hostility by putting to death his own son. When Jesus died on the cross, Jesus paid the price for every sin that separates us from each other. Every single sin. And if you stop and think for a moment, there's quite a few. Before I go outside the four walls of my own house, there's quite a few sins that separate us. Jesus died for everyone. He came, verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far away, that's the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, that's the Jews, and then in verse 18, he sums it all up. For through him, through Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Awesome. The whole Trinity at work in your salvation and mine. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? Jesus has brought us peace with God. More than that, he has brought us peace between bitter rivals. Who would have ever thought that was possible? Who's old enough to remember seeing the Berlin Wall being smashed down on the TV news? All those images? Yeah, more hands than there were last night at Beach Church. <laughs> Very encouraging. Don't feel so old. Um, of course, it was a physical wall and a political wall, an ideological wall. But no one ever imagined that the Iron Curtain would crumble, let alone the Berlin Wall being torn down. And yet it was. 
and and people suddenly had a new freedom they never dreamed possible. Two opposite sides, opposing sides of the city, now at peace, the dividing wall of hostility smashed and gone. Or by Jesus' death on the cross, God has broken the wall that separates us from himself and he's broken the wall that separates us from each other. And he wants us to rejoice and live out that new freedom in the way we love him as father and in the way we love people as family. Regardless of who they were or what they've done. And this was Paul's story, wasn't it? This is his own personal testimony. He was a Jew. He grew up hating Gentiles. But when he personally experienced the kindness and love of God in Christ, he was a changed man. Instead of hating Gentiles and persecuting Christians and trying to destroy the church, he became God's mouthpiece to the Gentiles, telling them how they could be saved. And he got persecuted for it, didn't he? The love and forgiveness that he had received from God so compelled him that he went out with God's love and told people of God's forgiveness, no matter how they treated him personally. He wanted to point them to Jesus so they could find peace with God as he had done himself. Now, perhaps you're sitting here and you're kind of thinking, well, I'm not really in conflict with anyone actually, Pete. No one's really deeply hurt me. I actually don't know any Jews. Uh, and I'm not really racist anyway. So how does this apply to me? It's a good question. Well, firstly, I reckon you should thank God. If, if that's you, I reckon you should thank God that, that for protecting you from, from really deep hurt from other people. Uh, but, but secondly, I think we need to have a proactive approach to this issue. Take initiative. Now, Jews excluded Gentiles and Gentiles despised Jews. Well, think about it this way. Who are the people in our society who are easily excluded from the gospel? Or the people who are despised and overlooked? Perhaps boat people, refugees. Perhaps people with a disability. Perhaps people from other religions. Perhaps widows, orphans. Perhaps the unemployed, shut-ins. People who are very poor or people who are very rich. People who struggle with addiction. People with different ideas about gender or sexuality or, or, or politics for that matter. People who dress differently, speak differently, behave differently. Pretty much, I'm just saying, people who are different from me. That's, that's probably the, the category we need to be thinking here. How can we reach out to such people with the love and grace of Jesus Christ and when God answers our prayers and they come to trust Christ as Saviour, how can we genuinely accept them as brothers and sisters in Christ and welcome them with warm Christian fellowship in our gatherings? See, as we reach out with God's love to those around us, 
God does something wonderful. In the remainder of chapter 2, we see that Jesus doesn't just tear down barriers. He builds something new to replace the hostility of the past. Verse 15 says, Jesus unites us as one new person. Verse 19 says, he makes us into a new household of people belonging to God. Now, if you live in the same house, you really want to get on well with each other, don't you? In verse 21, we're described as a holy temple. That shows just how close we are to God when we belong to Jesus. And look, if we still haven't got it, in verse 22, he says, we are a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It's a glorious image, isn't it? It is a glorious image of God's chosen people, once lost and dead in sin, now saved by the blood of Christ, once bitter enemies with each other, now united in Christ and filled with his Holy Spirit. I love that moment in, in Revelation chapter 7 where, where John gets a picture of heaven. And he says this in John's, uh, Revelation 7 verse 9. He says this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Well, friends, I pointed out a little while ago that there's just one command. In all of Ephesians chapters 1 to 3, there's just one, one command. We just looked at it today. What is it? Remember. Remember. Remember what you were without Christ. And thank him for his mercy. Remember how God has saved us through Christ. And love him as Father. And remember how God has united us in Christ and love one another as family in the Lord. Well, let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for working in our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit as we asked you to. Helping us not to just understand the gospel, but to believe it and put our trust in Jesus. And help us to recognise that Jesus' death doesn't just restore our relationship with you, but it gives us the example and the spiritual power to love and forgive other people, no matter who they are or what they've done. Father, I pray that you help each one of us to do this, even those who have been horribly wronged. Please give us all such an, such an overwhelming awareness of your grace to us so that our hardness of heart will melt away in your love and the peace that you give us in Christ and that we will be able to genuinely and freely and graciously love other people like you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.